guys can grab a seat. <clears throat> How's everybody doing? Yes. Very proper answer. I can always count on Caleb to help me out. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts. Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19. I have to say that first because we're going to talk about the church at Ephesus, so I keep saying Ephesians, but it's actually the book of Acts. So uh, as you're turning, let me kind of set the pace for where we're going this morning just a little bit. Now, first off, I want to say hey to my boy, Patty G, who drove here this morning from Clemson just to hang out with us, which is pretty awesome. Go, Patty G. Uh, everybody say, hey, Patty G. He's the one right there that hates all of this, but he is the man. Uh, so he, here's kind of what's strange, what's exciting, what's fun about this morning. Um, I, I, there's been a few times in my life where I can providentially see the hand of God moving some things. and So this morning is kind of one of those. Uh, and what I mean by that is over the break, I don't know if you guys realize that the church didn't meet on the 30th. And so we had uh, the, the service on the 23rd and then Christmas Eve service. And then we took that the last end of the year off. We always do that just kind of a Sabbath as a rest time. Um, and, and for me, I can tell when I'm most healthy, when I'm thinking about biblical things, when I, when I want to study, when I want to research. And so some point over the break, uh, my mind just kind of freed up. Uh, the Lord just kind of took some things and I was able to, I had the desire, the hunger for the word, for deeper waters, if you will. And so through this process, just started really praying about the church and, and where we are and all that God has done and all that God is doing and, and just got some, some burdens, if you will, for the church and where we are moving forward. Um, one of the things that, that I think I'm decent at, but I know drives a lot of you guys crazy, is like I'm a huge visionary, I love to think in the future of where we're going, sometimes to a default. So over the break, that's where I started going and um, it, it kind of bummed me out because on, on, we have a preaching schedule. I'm not due to preach until February because I was supposed to be having foot surgery. I was supposed to have foot surgery last week and screws and pins and plates and all this kind of stuff, basically because I'm fat. There's, there's the reason why. And so, um, not really. I had uh, a football injury in college, didn't play football, but if I say it that way, it sounds cooler. So, because of our insurance, and if anyone works with Blue Cross and Blue Shield, you stink, I hate you, but because of insurance wouldn't approve the surgery and some things going on, they had to postpone it. So for a season, I was really frustrated, like, why, God, are you doing this? But, but all this burden that I wanted to lay before you, that meant, oh, that's great. Like, I can preach this Sunday because I'm not having surgery last Wednesday. Everything is working out well, but then I was supposed to start the book of Luke today. So I was trying to figure out how can I lay my burdens before the church, but also, like, faithfully teach Luke and not go, here's what Luke says. Now let me come over here and conjecture all this stuff. And um, so looked at the preaching calendar. The preaching calendar, actually, I messed up and doubled up. So the text that I preached in November was also the text I was supposed to preach this morning. And so I was like, well, sweet, then that, that frees me up from the book of Luke. And so I just started praying hard about us this morning and, and what we're going to do and what we're going to study um, as an encouragement, but also as a word of warning for us. And I know that just all through these circumstances and these events weren't coincidence that the surgery got postponed, that I doubled up the book of Luke, that, that I'm actually able to stand before you and preach. There's a stomach bug going through our house and it seems like everyone's getting it except for me. Uh, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? But anyways, all of this I think is taking place so that we can study God's word this morning and understand who we are supposed to be as a church, celebrate some of what God has already done, but then really look in the future and, and, and almost be warned and encouraged about where we're going. But here's what I know. I don't know a ton. Here's what I know. And, and I'll just do it this way. Raise your hand if this is your first time at the branch. We don't normally do this, so don't freak out. But raise your hand if this is your first time at the branch this morning. Awesome. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you got involved with us in 2018. Some, some point in the year 2018, you got involved with us. Okay. Raise your hand if you got involved with us after we were on Sunday mornings. So you never came to the gathering when we were on Sunday nights. Raise your hand, okay? Raise your hand if you were there with us when we launched. Raise your hand high. Okay, raise your hand if you ever came to the branch in our living room. Four people? All right, so, so here's what I know. Uh, especially if this is your first time, there's going to be a lot of things you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of these things are going to be uh, reminiscent of all that God has done in the past, but, but, but some of that doesn't matter because what really matters is where we're going, what God is going to convict us through Scripture with. Um, so let me pray for us, uh, and then I'm going to read a quote, and then we're going to jump right in. 
Uh, Father, would you speak truth to us this morning? Um, God, we're so excited to see you move and, and all that's taking place. No one can sit back and say, oh, this is because good leadership or this is because um, their strategy is working. All that's unfolding in front of us is only because you are faithful and you are good and you are choosing to move. And so God, would that humble our hearts? Would, would that change our posture? Would that change the way we view things this morning? But Father, would we also be reminded that obedience is hard and following you shouldn't be easy. And it's easy for us to, to look at what's happening and to celebrate to uh, default, to, to rest when we shouldn't rest. So God, this morning, would we see clearly what you have for us? It's your name we pray, amen. So here's a quote, as you're flipping to Acts chapter 19, here's a quote to kind of start us off this morning. This is from a guy named Charles Spurgeon. We have come to a turning point in the road. If we turn to the right, perhaps our children and our children's children will go that way. But if we turn to the left, generations yet unborn will curse our names for having been unfaithful to God and to his word. So, if we turn to the right, perhaps our children and our children's children will go that way. We'll pursue the gospel, we'll pursue the cross. But if we turn to the left, generations yet unborn will curse our names for having been unfaithful to God and to his word. And so we're going to look this morning at the church of Ephesus because the, the genesis of Ephesus, you like that? See what I did there? The beginning of Ephesus just, just blows my mind. If you, if you pick one church, one early church to study, um, this would be the one to study. We're going to read some things that happened, but it was miraculous and it was messy and it was uh, not what you would think of. I mean, if someone tried to implement the church planning model of Ephesus here today, it would not work. Right? I mean, it was just grimy and messy and disgusting, but beautiful all at the same time because people were radically being changed from their sin. I mean, things were, were radically different. Things were changing constantly, and, and that's what I want us to see. So let's pick it up, Acts 19, pick it up in verse 11. Acts 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs of apr or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus who Paul proclaims. Verse 14. And this is quite possibly one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirits leaped on them mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So let's just talk real quick. Naked and wounded. Now, does anyone else just kind of like to scroll through Instagram and watch fights? Is that just me? Is that a do thing? Yes, okay. I just, I love to watch get people get manhandled. I mean, that's just this secret desire in your pastor's heart. Just so you know, like I'm just praying when I'm taking my family out, like someone touched my kid. I just want to punch someone right now. I want to get up on World Star. Let's do this. Someone mess with my family. But you know why I don't do that? Because I don't want to get my pants knocked off in front of my kids. I mean, there, there's no conjecture here. There's no guess of who won this fight. When you walk out of a room, Wounded and naked, you lost. But here's what's crazy, that the name of Jesus was so big and so powerful that people were seeing God do things through uh, the word of Jesus, and they said, I don't care, I'm gonna apply that to my business. That the name of Jesus was so important that people thought they could just say the name and things were happening. So these guys that were exorcists that were trying to make business out of false things said, it doesn't matter, I'm gonna try this Jesus thing. I mean, that is so against what our culture would do today. That the name of Jesus was actually moving and going and blowing and doing things that even the exorcist said, yeah, I'll give it a try. And when the demons respond, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard of, but who are you? I, 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 we know Jesus, is he here? And we know this guy, Paul, we've heard all these miracles about Paul, but, but who are you? And then they get beaten up thrown out, wounded, naked. So the point of the story as we keep reading is that even the name of Jesus was being picked up by everyone 
It wasn't some cliche thing that they knew that where Jesus' words and name was spoken, things happened. Lives changed. It was not the same for them anymore. Verse 17. And this event, the, the naked and wounded dude, this event became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was extolled. Verse 18, and many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and they found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the genesis of Ephesus. I mean, this is the church starting to explode out of Jesus doing what Jesus does. So there's a couple observations I want us to see and notice and take heed of, but then there's some also things that I want us to see that, that we're missing out of this. Because listen, I mean, as I've done this, as I'm going through church planning, there's a bunch of wacky things that people believe about church planning. There's a bunch of, I mean, just the church in general, that if you do this, people will show up. That if, if you act this way, then you'll attract more people. That, that you should always have your shirt tucked in because that looks more professional. That you shouldn't say bad things from the pulpit because you're going to run people. That you should serve good coffee, don't serve bad coffee. That you shouldn't meet in a gym because it's not going to grow. That you blah, 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 blah. Do you see any church planning strategy built into the church of Ephesus? No, the first thing that we see is that the name of Jesus was being extolled. That he was being worshipped. But here, here's what we have to understand. This wasn't like a service that they came, Jesus was worshipped, and then everyone went about what they were doing. That the church in Ephesus exploded because everywhere they went, they were worshipping, they were talking about, they were celebrating, they were enjoying the works and the person of Jesus Christ. Everywhere. So no matter where they were going, Jesus' name was being talked about, Jesus' name was being praised, Jesus was being worshipped. Everywhere they went because they had seen what Jesus is capable of. They've heard all these things that Jesus said, Jesus did. They understood what his death and resurrection meant and they saw it play out in front of their eyes and they worshipped. Everywhere they went. This wasn't some fake thing where we come in here and we know like, oh, here comes the verse, I need to get ready to raise my hand. I'm going to take a step over here because this is the part. This isn't some cheesy church worship. This isn't fake. This is genuine worship everywhere we go. That's what we talk about. His name was being worshipped. They were divulging and confessing their practices. So what's happening here? One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was in Ephesus. And how some of this took place was, was temp, uh, the kids are not in here, right? Sweet. Temple prostitution, just didn't want to have to throw that on any parents and then explain that on the way out. Uh, temple prostitution was how you worship. So sexual immorality ran rampant all through there. Witchcraft, demonic stuff. I mean, the, the church at Ephesus was known for theologically sound doctrine, but they were dealing with a lot of stuff. I mean, there was messy people around them. And these messy people, when they come to Christ, they don't just instantly throw all that stuff away. It takes time for Jesus to sanctify. It takes time for people to work. So we see them, yes, burning their books and saying, okay, that's, that's no longer me. I'm following Christ. But there's just this feel of messiness that was there. That you have all these people divulging and confessing their practices. How mature are the believers there to go, no, no, it's fine. Like God's grace runs deep. There's no sin that can outrun him. Come worship with us. Come meet this guy, Jesus. Come hang out with us. Do life with us. Eat at our dinner table. Celebrate with us. Play with my kids. And these are probably people that you wouldn't want in your house. These are people that for generations were separated from the believers. And now they're going, no, 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 come, come in. Come dine with us. Come live with us. So that had to create a level of messiness. Listen, I, I, if you've grown up in the church, I love you. God bless you. I grew up in the church. I'm, I'm grateful for that testimony. But I just love getting around non-believers and, and new believers. They just, just don't know how they're supposed to act. They don't know the Christianese they're supposed to speak. And so you get to gently walk them through and say, hey, man, like, that's, that, those words are pretty funny. But let's talk about that for a minute. 
Or, or those actions that I know you just don't know, but let me teach you scripture to show. So what's happening is a bunch of that. So if you walked into the church of Ephesus, you're not going to see all these pretty people in suits and ties. You're going to see messy, grimy, dirty people, but the passion for Jesus was there. Another thing we see is verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What is the word of the Lord prevailing mightily over? Sin and Satan. So all that's happening here in Ephesus, all that's happening with this sinful gain is now starting to stop. These people that have used sin to market their business, to, to grow their business, to make money, now can't. If you keep reading, I challenge you to keep reading this when you get home. The rest of Acts 19 goes into a riot because the people that were making money off the temple prostitutes, off of um, all this witchcraft, off of all of this, the people that were making their money couldn't make their money anymore, so they rioted. That the whole socioeconomic class of Ephesus was changing because of the word of the Lord. Not because of legislation, not because of political power, but because the Christians and those that were running these sinful businesses became believers and stopped. I mean, it would almost be like we go down to Atlanta and we start talking to some of the business owners and go, yeah, I don't know what's happening, but all the strip clubs closed down. It's bizarre. I can't figure it out. I'm furious because that was my business. It, it would look like that. All that was happening in Ephesus because victory over Satan was happening, that the word of the Lord continued to prevail mightily. So before we moved up here to plant, I would read passages like this. I would study church history and go, man, I want to see a move of God like that. And I'm not talking negative about any of the churches that I've grown up in, but they were predictable, they were stale, they were performance-driven, they were moralistic. So when we started to dream and create, what could really happen if we just had a group of people that wasn't confined to a building, that wasn't confined to rules or regulations, but we took God's word serious and said, okay, from this, how do we build this church? From this, what would it look like? Because we know what scripture says, that Christ is the head of the church. It's not any of us. So, so what is God asking us to do? What does this look like? And so some of you know some of the stories, some of you don't, but it was uh, fall of 2013. We were trying to move up here. Um, we had sold our house in Gainesville. We moved into my parents' basement because for some reason we thought it would be wise to, to look for a house in Dahlonega over the summer. Um, just, yeah, that was a huge blunder because all you college kids are running around like crazy trying to find housing. Um, so we couldn't. So we were that. I mean, it's just a rite of passage. I feel better about it now. We lived with my parents for a while. It was fantastic. Uh, it was, I mean, it was really fine. The Lord opened up a door for us. And here's what's happening. Just kind of set the scene for our marriage. Um, we were four or five years into marriage. We had a two-year-old and my wife was five months pregnant. I was working two jobs. I was doing construction in the morning from about 6.30 till 2, rolling into Starbucks 3.30 to 11. That was kind of our normal routine because God had called us to plant a church, and so we went. And when we moved up to Nalonega, January 2014, we had just received our first donation of $4,000. So that allowed us to go, listen, here's what we'll do. I'm going to quit construction. I'm just going to work Starbucks, and this will be enough to cover the other part of the salary for three months. So we moved up January. I was going to have my second child in April. We already had a two-year-old. We had enough salary for us to last three months. So every single day, every single day, I prayed, I fasted, my wife prayed, those that were gathered around us prayed, God, you, you're going to have to do something in the first three months or I'm going to have to go back to work and the church isn't going to happen. Now, fast forward, just four years later, uh, this week, we gave away more money than we had in those early days. That the church is growing, that people are showing up. And so I'm looking at these checks, I'm writing to the cooperative program and to the Georgia Baptist Convention and going, literally, this is more money than that $4,000 we received at this first donation. So in four years, we're able to give more away than we had in our checking account in the beginning. This is crazy what the Lord is doing. Did you guys know that every year that we've been in church, our baptisms have doubled? From year to year to year to year, our baptisms have 
doubled. Did you guys know that we're going on an elder retreat in January to figure out what to do with all of you people? Because every chair that we have right now is every chair that the Park and Rec owns. So we're calling an elder retreat to get away, to pray and to fast and to consider what do we do because we don't own any more chairs. I mean, guys, the list can go on and on and on about the, what the Lord is doing. Did you guys know, I mean, I could just keep giving facts after. This year, I mean, 2018, the inside ties, how much you guys give to the Lord, grew faster or grew more this year than our first year budget was. I mean, when I looked back, I mean, even someone did it this morning. They, they were walking through and they looked at me and they go, huh? Like, guys, this is the posture of the elders and the leadership of this church. I don't know. I don't know where these people keep coming from. We don't market. I don't know if you've realized that. There's no marketing scheme going on for the branch. We don't have any staff other than me. We have some incredible leadership. We have incredible elders. But here's my fear, if I'm not careful. And here's where I just kind of want to change the pace and, and look at Ephesus, but talk about where we are. When we, the first year, we're doing a membership class today at one o'clock. Uh, if you're even interested remotely in how to become a covenant member at the branch, I'd encourage you to come to that. We'll cover some of this more in detail. But the first year we prayed and we petitioned, we fasted, God, would you do something here? Before we even launched, the next year we prayed and petitioned, we fasted. And there was one prayer that we prayed over and over and over and over and over again. God, if you're not in this, then kill this. This isn't part of what you're doing, then stop it right away. We'd rather rip the band-aid off and go find jobs somewhere else than get two, three, four years into this and realize that you were never part of it. Because I have a marketing degree. I, I have the ability in me. I have trained professional experience to grow a crowd. And we have the budget right now. I could go give away iPads for days on campus and a bunch of college students would show up. But we said, no, 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 we don't, we don't want to do that. We want to grow because of the word of God doing what the word of God does. But here's my fear, and the Spurgeon quote just puts it in us. And we're going to read this in Revelation. If, if we're not careful, then we can believe the hype about ourselves and start discounting all those prayers we prayed early and say, no, no, this is us. This is what we're doing so I feel like we're at that tension of as we move forward, yes, let's look back and celebrate all that God has done and all that God is doing. But we're at this crossroad where as we're moving forward, we have two choices to make. This is either what God is doing or this is what we are doing. And this morning we have to draw the line somewhere. So flip with me over to Revelation because we'll start to see what takes place if we don't. Oh, Pastor Gabe's just me and melodramatic again. Okay. Let's go to Revelation. I do have three daughters, though, so I think I've, I can be a little melodramatic. If they can be dramatic, so can I. Revelation 2. Pick it up at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So far, so good, right? But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you 
and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of Nicolaitans, which also I hate. He who has it here, let him hear the spirit to the churches. Those who conquer, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. So, so let's, let's take a moment right here, because here's the time frame. From the radical genesis of the church in Ephesus to now, we're talking 50 years. We're talking the same generation that saw all that God did. 50 years later, we see God saying, listen, we got to have a conversation Listen, we, we need to talk. And it, here's what happens. One, they patiently adored for God's glory. They were doing the work. I think one of the two biggest misconceptions of Christianity is the idea of waiting and the idea of suffering. That we just naturally are so narcissistic that if waiting takes place, we curse God. And if suffering takes place, we curse God. God, where were you? How dare you? How could you do this? But they were patiently enduring through all of that, through all the waiting, through all the suffering they endured. Why? For his name's sake, for God's glory, they patiently endured. And he says that twice. They patiently endured, they endured patiently. So we start looking, we go, oh, great, man, fast forward 50 years later, church in Ephesus is looking solid. Maybe they got a cool building, maybe they got some nice lights, and like uh, maybe the pastor has his own bathroom so he didn't have to intermingle with everyone else. Things are looking good. That's my confession. I told some guys earlier that if we ever get a building, I want my own throne. <laughs> I'm joking. No, I'm not. The second thing that we see is that they knew the word well enough to refute false teaching. So this church in Ephesus, right, they patiently endured, they endured patiently, they took waiting and suffering for God's glory, but they also knew the word. They were able to spot false teachers and call them on it. I mean, this is a whole nother skill set. This means that there are faithful men that are preaching the gospel, preaching sound doctrine to this church, but you have John and Timothy as elders there. So first, second Timothy, first, second, third John. Those guys were the elders. I love our elders, but we're not John or Timothy. We're not Paul, right? I mean, you have a stacked team teaching the gospel to these people. So there's teaching going on, but not only teaching, they were hearing it, they were receiving it, but then they were starting to draw lines and go, mm, but that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. And I know the gospel well enough to tell you where that is wrong. We all can kind of hear things and, and hear things said and go, ah, I, don't, I know that doesn't feel right, but I don't, I don't know the word well enough to refute that, so I'm just going to let that go. That's, that's not the church in Ephesus. They're going, no, 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 that's wrong. Here's why I'm going to call you to repentance. I mean, these people were suffering and waiting well. They also knew the word of God well. And they didn't let the culture dictate their church. All that was happening in this temple of Artemis, all that was going on with the temple prostitution and all that was happening, they did not let culture do that. That God amends them. He, he celebrates them for hating evil like he hates evil. No, that you, you pushed away from that. You called sin, sin. You weren't afraid to go, well, maybe if we, if we don't call that out, maybe more people will come worship with us. Maybe we should be uh, ooh, almost. Nope. Maybe we should be the, the church that, that everyone wants to come to. So let's water down some things so that so that people can then come in. You know, they, they weren't that. They caught out evil for what evil was. They weren't afraid to stand up and go. That is sinful in the eyes of God. And we're not going to let that stuff start to bleed into God's church. We call out sin where sin is present. But they're also zealous. We see that they were running for the gospel, that they were doing all that they could to get the name of God out. They were zealous for the kingdom and all the things of God. So if you just take this one verse out of it and you read about the church in Ephesus, it was on fire. It was doing great things. Here's where I think just naturally our minds start to shift a little bit because of our own mortality. The way that we view ourselves, right, is, well, yeah, I've got this sin that I'm working on, but like, look at all this other good stuff that I'm doing. 
So like, sure, yeah, like, I, I know I struggle over here, but man, I'm doing all this, so, so I'm good, right? So we naturally take that mentality into God's church and we go, well, I mean, the church at Ephesus was doing 95% of the things right. Leave them alone. Let them work. Don't be melodramatic, God. Don't be melodramatic, Gabe. The church is okay. Verse four, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Church at Ephesus starts roughly 50 years later. We see this prophetic word. 100 years later, church at Ephesus ceased to exist. So we really have to start asking ourselves why. I mean, this should, this should bother us. Now I know, Kyle is our church planner in Millageville, the guy that we sent out to plant, and they're doing fantastic things down there. I coach with Kyle about two hours every single Monday just to kind of walk him through what it looks like to be a pastor and, and make sure that he's leading well. And, and one of the things he said last week struck me. He said, Gabe, I, I knew that you thought about the church a lot, but I did not have any clue till I became a pastor. So I know walking into this room that you guys think about a bunch of different things and life and struggles and what keeps you up at night is maybe your grades or, or your work or, or your children or your retirement. But what keeps me up at night is you guys. It's what God is doing here. That's, that's what keeps me up. That's what I think about when my mind starts to trace and wonder. It's not about retirement because I have none. It's about this. It's about what God is doing here in our midst. So I know that, that just, I mean, all cards on the table, I know that this is going to strike me a little harder than it's going to strike you, but I pray it doesn't stay that way. And I pray as a church that, that, that this haunts us a little bit here, that the church of Ephesus can be praised for all that is happening in their midst, but they could be doing it all for the wrong reasons. This is what I have against you. The reason that you're doing these things that you did at first was not because you're left for me, but because you know how to do it. The motivation for expanding God's church is no longer God, but it's you. And this is a temptation we face all the time. The reputation of churches are on the line constantly. Or are you going to be on the fastest growing list this year? Or does your church do this? Or my church does this? I mean, sometimes I wish I could just pick us up and move us somewhere not in the south because I get tired of all these dumb conversations. And, and I have what you call like a poker face problem to where people start talking about dumb things in church and you just see it all over my face. I, I can't fake it anymore. I mean, I had a guy, uh, uh, yep, I'm going to share this and if I get in trouble, whatever. But I had a guy a couple years ago, or last year actually, in Wendy's. said, man, how's the church doing? I said, oh, we're this and this and this. So, well, how are you doing? How are you doing financially? Oh, I, th I think we're doing good. Well, our church is self-sustaining. Cool, bro. Like, like, that's what you're gonna stand here and choose to brag about? Is that your church has money? Like, are you faithful to this? Are, are you doing anything else other than the fact that your church is self-sustaining? Let me go buy you a Frosty and let's celebrate that your church is self-sustaining. I mean, that is just the silliest thing to brag about. but what are we doing here that's protecting ourselves from getting to the point of the church in Ephesus? We are four, 50's not that far away. But, but here's the scary part. The church in Ephesus didn't just wake up and go, oh man, here we are. I mean, it was a simple compass illustration, right? I mean, if you do one degree off and then start walking that way in 50 years, the trajectory of your church is gonna look totally different. In your own life, if you just one degree, if you compromise once and the second time is easier, then the third time is easier, and then you're going to wake up not knowing who you are. So why does this matter now and not year 50? Because we have to make sure our compass is straight. What are we doing and what are we trying to accomplish and why? What are the things, if we were to heed the voice of God, what are the things that we did in the beginning we'd no longer do? So I want to spend the next couple minutes just dissecting that a little bit. Now, again, this is where, if you're new here, if this is something that I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad that you can hear us confess our sins and repent from that. 
And our, and our prayer is that you join in. Now, I, I just want to, before we dive in, let me kind of set the pace of where we're going. It's all scripture. There's certain scriptures I want us to remember, to pray on, to meditate, to correct our behavior. I don't want us ever to correct our behavior because of earthly wisdom. Let's go back to scripture and say, okay, here's what scripture says. Let's, let's do that. Let's walk in that direction. But these are also things that I've noticed in my own heart first. One of my favorite pastors says, what you hate about your church is what you secretly hate about yourself. So how did I come to these conclusions? This isn't some passive aggressive jab to some of you in this room that are leading. This is me over the last couple weeks pursuing my heart, praying through my heart going, what is it that I hate about myself that is impacting the church? So here we go. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in, the se- in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The first thing that I think we can start compromising a little bit is that do not grow weary in doing good. Do not, church, grow weary in doing good. Now, now that is a weighty thing that we can unpack. Here, here's some of the things that I, I mean by that. We cannot buy into our own hype. Do you know what I mean by that? I, let, let me, here, here's what I mean. In this last two weeks, um, a, a lot of people have looked at the church and go, man, y'all are gonna fail. Y'all are gonna fail. This isn't gonna work. I mean, I had a very important, prominent figure in my life sit me down and say, is a mistake, don't go to Delonica. That any church that gets planted in Delonica is gonna fail, it's not gonna work, don't go to Delonica. I had plenty of people, we would say, Sunday gatherings are not the main focus, but it's living life. In community, discipleship happens outside of the walls, not just an hour on Sunday morning, go, oh man, that's, that's cute, but that's not, that's not gonna work. You, you shouldn't do that. But now we're starting to go, well, like, God is doing something. You have to admit that God is doing something. And so um, the, the proverbial carpet, I guess, is being laid out. That people were saying, hey, would, would you come speak to this thing and tell us how you're doing what you're doing? So this Friday night, I'm going to speak to a church about the branch and what's happening, how God has been blessing it. Then in two weeks, uh, because of the success of the branch, Bree and I are going to speak at a marriage retreat. And then I had a job offer this last week saying, hey, won't you come uh, and be the director of church planting for us so that so you can teach all these other churches how you're doing what you're doing? So if we're not careful, if we don't see what's happening, we're going to go, oh, man. Whew, we have arrived. We have made it. All the people, I have a lot of good people in my life that are praying for us, that are supporting us. And the verbiage that I keep asking, man, tell me about the branch. How's the branch doing? The word that keeps coming out of my mouth is we're stable. Like for the first time in four years, we're stable. Like we have money in the bank, we have consistent leadership, we are stable. Now, is that a sinful thing? No. But how do we lead through stability? How do we still remain faithful through stability? Because here's what's happening. We're getting weary and doing good. We've all, if you, especially if you've been here from the beginning, we're working hard and harder and harder. And so some of us just like, we're, we're good. We, we've done it. Here we are. Because we're weary. We're tired. but there's still 26,000 around us that don't have a relationship with God. Church, we have not arrived until we see Christ face to face. There's never a moment we go, we're going on break. We've got this thing controlled. It's on autopilot now. Let's, let's take a step back and just let it do it. Until all that are around us know the gospel, until we planted churches that plant churches that plant churches that are seen, salvations are seen, zero lost in their town, church, we have not arrived. The, the work of good still has to go on constantly. We have to keep pursuing. We have to keep pushing. We cannot settle with, uh, we're stable we're good, so let's go eat some donuts and chill. We have to keep pushing. But here's how some of this manifests itself out. As, as the church grows, then the people can just say, well, there's great leadership here, I don't have to get involved. There are enough people doing the work 
So we see this, especially in larger churches, probably the churches, well, just tell the pastor, let him do it. Like, I mean, we pay his paycheck, so like, he, he can do the work. From the beginning, the verse that has haunted us and we've tried to establish this entire church is Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. That our role as elders, the five elders that are in this room, except for one, he's skiing because he's a little bougie, but everyone else is here and working. I hope he doesn't listen to that. He's going to rag me for that. <laughs> our role is not to do the work for you. Ephesians 4, 11, 12 says our role is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. So what was going right in the church of Ephesus that Paul said, no, 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 listen, my role is to equip you guys for the work of the ministry. So, so no, we're not going to do the work for you. I mean, there's that whole 80-20% rule, right, that, that 20% of the people will do 80% of the work. That's getting weary and doing good. That's slowing down. That's being comfortable. When, when the branch first started, we said a lot of things, probably in our immaturity, that made people uncomfortable and, and ran them away. Maybe we need to bring back some of that. That if you're going to become a member here, if you're going to be here, there's a lot of work that needs to happen. So let's get after it. The other thing I want to see, John 14, 15 says it simply. This is Jesus talking. If you love me, you will keep my commands. So let us not grow weary in doing good, but also let us be passionate about keeping God's commands because that is our love for him. Here's what I mean by this. Simply put, gospel community and mission is what we're all about here. But just those three things. We want to be serious about the gospel. We want to be serious about community. We want to be serious about mission. But we've kind of figured out a way to hijack the system, right? That I can be serious about the gospel. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to study and read a bunch of old dead guys. I'm going to quote theologians left and right so that everyone thinks that I'm beautiful and smart. Not no beautiful. Most people that read like that are pretty ugly. But I'm going to do all of this so that I feel good about myself. But am I actually going to do the work of an evangelist? No. So you walk into a room and you sound smart and you sound cultured and you know the Bible left and right. But James says, show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. So we have to be very careful of who we celebrate and who we look up to. I don't care that you don't know John Calvin if you're leading someone to Christ every single week. I don't care that you don't know the Westminster Catechism if you are passionate about the loss that are sitting next to you and living next to you. But what we've done, which is not very far from what the Pharisees had done, is going, no, no, look, look how good I am. Look at what I've read. Look at what I've studied. I can tell you about this and this and this. Yeah, but what are you doing with that? Oh, look at what I've done. Look at what I've read. I've done 15 Beth Moore Bible studies this day. <laughs> right? I mean, we laugh about it, but man, this is all the, how many Bible studies are you in? Oh, I'm in 12. Yeah, well, did you get the part of the James where it said, take care of the widows and the orphans? Stop studying our Bible and let's go do it. Doesn't matter what you know, it matters what you do. If you love me, keep my commands. So I can just see this subtle shift in the church of Ephesus. And I can see it. It's a gentle one for us. It's a one degree. It's Oh man, that guy, look, look how many books he has. Look how smart he is. And we can do this the same with community. I'll stop picking on theology nerds for a second. We can do the same thing with community. I've not missed MC. I'm, I'm so committed into our community. Yeah, but just going, is that all that was required of you? Are you loving? Are you shepherding? Are you encouraging? Are you praying for those around? We do the same thing for mission. We can do all the way through the line that we can do 95% well but then we're just like the church in Ephesus, that our motivation for this isn't Christ, it's us. Look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished. Uh, last one, Proverbs 3, five through six. This, this for me is where a lot of this started. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your straight or your paths, he will make straight your paths. Excuse me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So 
I, I call him my pastor. He's one of my mentors in my life. He was an elder at the last church I was on staff at, just a godly, wise guy, but has those zingers. You know what I'm talking about? Those zingers where like drop the mic moments kind of, yep, are we good? Are you tracking? All right. He burns me. How about that? Is that uh, young enough for you guys? I just got burned. He's throwing shade and whatever else you millennials say. So I had, I had lunch with him, uh, this was right before Christmas, and he got up from the table and was walking away and turned and said, because we just talked about the church, all the things of the church, all that God is doing, all that God has done, our visions for the future, all that stuff. And he turned to me and said, hey man, it must be nice not to have to trust God anymore. Turned and walked out. He knew what he did, that punk. In that moment, Scott wrecked me. I mean, destroyed me. Are we so dependent? Is there, is there that prayer, that fasting that God, if you don't show up, then in our hearts? There's, there's this angst within our soul, or if we have, we've done this so well that, man, if God shows up, cool, but if he doesn't, that's fine. What does it look like? And, and please hear me. I'm, I'm not talking leadership. I'm not talking elders. I'm talking us in this room. What does it look like for us to trust God with everything we have? Because what we see all littered all through scripture is that we are the church. Christ is the head. We are the church. So if you, you, you might not have any leadership here, any recognition. You might just be a faithful attender. But if you are trusting the Lord with all that you have, it's going to permeate through this church. If you are encouraging others to trust with all that we have, it's going to make all of us look different. There's been a few times over the last four years that I've been rebuked by members, and it is incredible. I, I'm, I'm not, and the elders are not these people that like, you do it our way or not. If we could see for the fruit of your life that you're trusting God with everything you have and you see us leading astray, we're, I'm pleading with you, tell us. Tell, I, I do not want to get to heaven and go, God say, hey man, it was pretty easy leading that church without having to trust me, huh? It was pretty awesome building a system that I was irrelevant in. Are we trusting God to do what only he can do. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try strategies and we shouldn't seek for wisdom and we shouldn't work hard. But we see all through scripture. We, we may plant, we may water, but who brings the growth? So he, here's kind of how I want to end. How do we stay faithful through stability? I was talking to Daniel and Katie Ann, are y'all here? Cool, I guess not. Uh, there's Kenan. Where's Daniel? There's Daniel. I love Daniel. Uh, they heard the very rough, raw version of this on Monday, uh, where I was more ranting and raving instead of encouraging and uh, supporting. And, and Daniel, I think, said it the best. It's just kind of been, I've been chewing on through, it is by God and his grace that we have reached a season of stability. I don't want to wish that away. It is only through God and his grace that we can have meetings and, and have retreats and go, man, what's next August going to look like a, when we potentially might double? About every August, we see a huge influx and goes down, but we retain about 40. So if you do the math, which I'm not going to because I don't know, we average 140. If we get to next August or this August, we're probably going to bump up to 300. We retain 40 of those. We're out of space. So it's, I'm not upset about that. I'm praising God for the stability because it means we can sin more, we can disciple more, we can do more for the kingdom. But how do we remain faithful to our stability? That's the way that Daniel put it. And listen, this isn't for us to decide as leadership. This is for all of us to decide. If you're here and you feel your faith is stagnant and stable, stable how do you continue to grow faithfully in your stability? Revelation 2.5, repent and do the works you did at first. So I think publicly as a church, we need to repent. 
We need to plead with God to do what he did at first. We need to give credit where credit is due and 100% of what has happened here is because of the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. We need to remember that. Number two, we need to pray. What are some of those prayers that only God can answer? What trust are we putting our hope in? Again, this isn't leadership. This is the church. Are we praying big prayers for God's glory here? Are we actively, I mean, is, is this one for one, 26,000 something that we just say? Are we actively praying for not the harvest, but the laborers? Are we praying for God to do only what he can do? And, and the last thing is, and this one might sting a little bit, but, but if you're here and you've kind of been hanging out a little bit, you, you need to commit in. That as, as God's church, we need to know who we can depend on. We need to know who we're discipling. We need to cut down on the spectators and rise up on the ones that are committed to seeing the gospel change Dahlonega and the world. I mean, I always joke, but I'm not joking. The future church planters are sitting in this room. That our vision is way bigger than just Dahlonega. I mean, we're already talking Atlanta. We're already talking Athens. We're already talking Chattanooga. God has given us a vision to plant churches that plant churches. And we need men and women to faithfully sell everything they have and go. But we also need faithful men and women to stay and do the work of evangelists here. So in two, three, four short years, there might be three, four, five of you guys that are doing what I'm doing right now across the state and across the southeast. But that doesn't happen by just coming here and then sneaking out of here right when it's over. Get involved. Buy in. Is it going to be awkward showing up to someone's house that you've never been to? Yes. 10,000% yes. Are my kids going to jump on you and potentially injure you for life? Ask Jake Smith. Yes. <laughs> Is it going to look messy and weird and strange? Yes. But is God going to be glorified 10,000 times? Yes. So church, we, we have this compass turning the road kind of moment. We can stay stable and kind of do things the way we've always been doing. And we can just hang out and celebrate the good old days. Or we can press in. We can repent. We can run. I'll end with this quote. The devil tries so hard to get Christians to be religious. If he can sink a man's mind into habit, he'll prevent his heart from engaging God. So let's fight from becoming habitual Christians. But let's be the ones that run, that trust, that serve, that engage, that obey, and that do good without wearying. So that in 50 years, we don't get a warning from God, and in 100 years, we don't cease to exist. Let's pray. Father, we uh, want to start this morning with repentance. God, I don't, I don't know that any of us have actively engaged in, in sin. Father, we've, we've just seen all that you've done and it's, we've gotten excited and hyped up about it and we've seen people saved, we've seen baptisms, we've seen the Sunday gathering grow, missional communities grow, we've seen leaders come out from nowhere. Father, we've, we've wrung out our lives, it feels. So for some of us, we're just tired. We have grown weary because we're depending on ourselves and not on you. That those who renew their strength will soar like eagles. Father, it's, it's you. It's you that we get our energy. It's you that we get our vitality. So God, we're, we're grateful. I don't, I don't want to come across ungrateful for all that you've done, all that you're doing. 
Father, but I want us to heed your words to the church in Ephesus. God, have we forgotten our first love? Have we become so complacent and busy just doing the thing from Sunday to Sunday to MC to MC that, that we don't trust you anymore, that we don't obey you anymore, that it's become a formulaic system? So, Father, now would you convict our hearts? God, would you lead us to repentance? God, would you gently but swiftly remind us this is your church, not our church? God, that you love the 26,000 around us more than we could ever. God, if if we have grown weary in doing good, would we repent from doing things on our own energy? If we have come here to spectate and to, to check the box, but have no interest in serving, committing, or getting involved with the local church, would would we repent? Would you remind us the goodness and grace that you are? Would you lead us back to yourself? God, would we look back and and this be a defining moment for us as a church? God, we don't want to trust ourselves. And forgive us when we have. We want to extol your name. We want the socioeconomic class of Dahlonega to change we want to look messy again I long for the days in the beginning when half of our missional communities were non-believers every single one of them when we had atheists coming to this gathering saying I don't believe in your God but these people love me so well I'm coming back I long for those days God, would we look messy again? Would we be more concerned with the 26,000 around us than how to keep this room happy? Would we not be prideful or arrogant in our serving? Not doing it for any recognition of man, but solely because of your glory, for your name's sake. Would we do good? Would your name and your renown be the first thing we think of when we get up and the last thing we think about when we go to bed? Father, would you forgive us for how often we fall short? So this morning, Jesus, as we take communion, this is a communion of repentance and forgiveness. God, would you forgive all of us for our sins, for our shortcomings? Would you convict our hearts even now of what we're supposed to do? When we remember what we did at first as a church, as a believer, the zeal and the energy and the desire we had for you, your word, and your glory, would we return to that? Would this be a time of prayer for us? Would we pray and petition God for doing things in our midst that we cannot gain credit for?
That we can never say, oh, we implemented this strategy or the church decided to do this. But we just stand back and say, God happened. That's all that we can say. Is God happened. So let that be the prayer of our hearts this morning as we take communion. If you're not yet a believer here, man, we're so grateful that you're here. We're grateful that you can hear that, that we sin, that we have fallen short as well. But as we take communion, this is a time for just believers. If, if you would respect that and honor that, that, that we're doing this for your good. But let this time be a time of believers. And then we worship and we celebrate and we, we plead with God to do what you did at first, to humble ourselves and let your glory be everything to us. And God, let's constantly be readdressing the compass of our hearts to pursue you and your name and your glory forever. Amen.